Welcome to another virtual author chat at the Poison Pen Bookstore. I'm John Charles, and today the Poison Pen is delighted to have back with us virtually author Jennifer Dybel, whose new book is The Irish Matchmaker. Before we begin, I'd like to let those tuning in know the Poison Pen does have copies of The Irish Matchmaker on order, as well as Jennifer's previous books, and we would be happy to hold one for you or put one in the mail. Just give us a call or go online to the Poison Pen Bookstore. Now I'd like to welcome back Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a, an enjoyable time. Thank you for joining us today. Um, my first question for you is for those that might not be familiar with you and your books, what can you tell us about Jennifer before you became a published author? Uh, there was a lot of Jennifer before I became a published author. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I've grown up in Arizona my whole life. Um, and before I was writing publicly, I was an elementary school teacher. And then my husband and I uh, lived overseas for almost 10 years working for an American nonprofit organization. So we lived in Ireland for about six years. Um, we lived in Vienna, Austria for about a year and a half before moving back here to the Phoenix area. Um, and I'm a middle school English teacher now, and we've got three kids. Um, and I love books and coffee. And I wouldn't say I stumbled upon writing, but that wasn't what I had originally set out to do, although I was always writing in some form or fashion throughout my whole life. When did you decide, I want to start writing books seriously? This was something I wanted to do. When my husband and I had been married about two years, we went overseas for the first time. We lived in County Donegal for about two years. And when we came back, I started writing what would almost 20 years on become my debut novel um, as a way to just kind of process what we had been through. Um, and I just wrote a story about a girl, a teacher who had moved over to rural Ireland to teach and just kind of poured my heart and soul into that. It took me about 15 years to get the whole thing written because I was expecting our first child of the three we ended up having. Um, so, but yeah, I think that's when I decided I was gonna start writing it, but it wasn't until about 10 years after that that I really started pursuing publication and trying to write kind of professionally because um, just the way our paths led, um, I ended up writing for a parenting website that was starting up and they encouraged me to start a blog or a website of some kind so that if readers liked what I wrote, they'd have some place to go. And so that was kind of my foray. My, our son, who's now 13, um, he was a newborn at the time. So that's kind of when it all started pushing that professional direction. What was the initial path to publication for your first book like, A Dance in Donegal? Was it something that, as you said, it took some time or did it just all fall into place? Once I finished the manuscript, I would say by publishing standards, it happened fairly quickly. <laughs> um, by my standards in the moment, it felt like it was taking years. <laughs> Um, I finished my manuscript um, in January of 20, I always get the years wrong. I want to say it was 2017 and my agent and I worked on it, polished it, and we started pitching publishers um, that summer and I was first offered the contract from Ravel the following March 
And so, and then it was another year before it actually got published. So it was a couple of years from first pitch to, to publication. Um, and my agent search took me about a year. So it was a couple of years, but my friends in publishing say that's, that's fairly quick in yeah. the publishing world. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about your latest book, which comes out um, in February, The Irish Matchmaker. What can you tell readers about the book? This book is, I had so much fun writing this book. Um, it is set in the little town of Listoon Varna in County Clare in the far west of Ireland in 1905. And it surrounds the matchmaking festival, which is a real thing. Um, around the area of Listoon Varna, there are several natural mineral wells that were discovered by a doctor in the late 1800s. And he saw the potential for the tourism aspect. And so the wealthier people started coming to take the waters and sort of naturally started trying to match their kids up because it was one of the few times they were around people of their similar station. Um, and the harvest had also finished around that time. So then the farmers were coming to town ready to have the time and the money to try and woo <laughs> some beautiful lass. And so it just sort of happened that every September, this festival kind of started around 1860s, I believe. And it still goes on today. This past September, they had it it's still there. They still have a matchmaker. And um, so this story follows um, one of the matchmakers, Katrina Daly. And it just started with the question, what if the matchmaker was great at matchmaking everybody else, but not herself? And so she's on the hunt for love and kind of has to put that on hold as she helps a widowed um, single father um, try and meet his daughter's birthday wish, his nine-year-old for her birthday wish that he would go to the matchmaking festival and find her a new mom. And so he has eyes for Katrina. Katrina has eyes for a wealthy man and shenanigans ensue. <laughs> um as you said, the book is set in an actual place. Um, what mm -hmm. kinds of research was involved? I believe you actually spoke with a third generation matchmaker. I did. Um, so Jimmy, sorry, Jimmy's the, the character. Willie Daly is um, the real life third generation matchmaker, still there today, still making matches. Uh, his father was a matchmaker and his grandfather was a matchmaker before him. And um, he wrote a memoir called um, The Last Matchmaker, the man who brought the story of the man who brought love to Ireland. So I read his memoir. Um, we exchanged a few emails. I was able to ask him some questions. We tried to set up a video chat, but rural Ireland and the internet don't always play nicely together. So that didn't work out. But that was loads of fun just talking with him. He's a, a wild cracking character um like he he he's like he stepped out of the pages of a book um so that was loads of fun um and i've been to listoon varna myself when we lived in galway we would drive through there quite often i've never been to the festival um so i also spoke to the historical center um for the spa wells in the area and they were able to give me a lot of information about who would have been attending what would they have been doing what did they do with the spa wells all that kind of stuff so there was a lot of collaboration of information on this book, which I really enjoyed. It's a fabulous book. I almost got the idea that it was in some ways an Irish counterpart to Austin and Bath, all those people coming mm -hmm. to take the waters and looking for matches. 
Yes. <laughs> um, it might surprise a lot of readers in the 21st century that matchmaking is still going on because we live in a world of digital apps and things like mm -hmm. that. Why do people still turn to a real person to find a match? I think, especially in Ireland, there's just that spark of something magical. And like, what, what if there's something, some access to some knowledge that he has that, that I don't have. Um, and there's people literally from all over the world come to this festival now. And so I think in that regard, there's just that, that idea that it's a little bit something bigger than yourself. And so you might, you might encounter someone that you wouldn't normally cross paths with. And so I think those connections are still there. And really when it comes down to it, we're human beings, we are meant to be social creatures. I think a lot of times we like to tell ourselves that we're not, but at the end of the day, we're social creatures and we need that connection. And I think deep down on a soul level, we kind of crave that. And so having that personal connection, um, and having someone that really knows us and knows what's going to be a best match for us, um, there's a lot to be said for that. There are things that can't be captured in a anagram algorithm 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 yes that you look at where and a real person can kind of see levels and layers and the pros and cons the the good parts and the bad parts to a person make a more appropriate match. So that was kind of interesting to see how that played out. Um, you introduce some real historical figures into the story as well. Mm -hmm. um, so the gentleman that our matchmaker Katrina kind of sets her sights on um, is ends up being connected to a, a real life landlord of the time um, whose daughter actually did get married around that time. As far as I know, she didn't attend the festival. I don't think the Daly family actually made that connection, but they they were there at that time. And um, so that was fun to play around with that as well as some of the local doctors. Um, veterinarians were kind of held almost in the same regard as a priest because the livestock were so important. And so I wanted to pull in and kind of give, give homage and honor to the, the men who kept all of that going during a very difficult time economically um, in Ireland. And so that was that was fun to, to weave through there. You write historical romance and historical fiction. How, as a writer, do you know there has to be like some kind of dividing point between I've put in too much history, there's not enough history. How do you know, does your editor tell you take things out? What is it like trying to recreate that era in terms of a, a novel? I don't, I don't know that I ever really know. I think it kind of the scene tells you what's needed. And there'll be times where I'll be furiously typing away at a scene and I'll want to include a detail and I'll think, oh goodness, did they, what did they use for napkins in 1905 in Ireland? Or would they have said, you know, golly gee, or, you know, when, when did this phrase come into use and things like that? Every now and then I do get notes from my editor about let's maybe cut this down. Usually when I'm describing the scenery and the colors, they're like, all right, like, okay, yes, it's pretty. And you do that well, but this is like, that's not the story. So sometimes they do kind of be like, or this is a fascinating fact, but it really has nothing to do with the story. So maybe, maybe we make the pacing a little bit nicer and 
take that out. <laughs> <laughs> You've done a lot of research into your book set in Ireland. What has surprised you the most about this time period, this range of time periods that you've explored? Mm. Surprised me most. I think the thing that other people find surprising is that Ireland always kind of seems a little bit behind the times, technologically oh. speaking, in the rural areas, which is kind of strange. It's this weird dichotomy because Ireland for a long time um, in modern day has been the largest software exporter in the world. It's some of the most technologically advanced cities in the world are in Ireland. But up until the internet kind of became widespread, you know, the rural homes in the 1950s, they didn't have a telephone. They had, they had one phone box in the village and everyone would go use that phone. Um, a lot of homes way out in the rural areas where I tend to write my stories didn't have electricity until, you know, the sometimes even the 50s or 60s, depending on where they were. Um, and so sometimes they'll read, I have a story set in 1935 and they're like, gosh, I didn't like, I forget it was 1935. It sounds like it's like in the 19 teens, you know, 1915 or something, but that's, that's kind of how it was. And so, um, sometimes that I have to remind myself about that and I'll try to put some modern things in that, um, that don't work. I'm trying to think of the last thing that really surprised me. Can't, can't think of one. <laughs> you're, you're too well versed in your subject I guess we'll leave it at that <laughs> what in some I'm, I'm not really familiar with Ireland I know bits and pieces but you're much more knowledgeable in some ways it seems like Ireland is part of Europe but also an entity in itself can you kind of explain that dichotomy oh goodness there's history books that that don't even touch on like can't even scratch the surface it's mm -hmm. such a a wealth of information there but that's exactly right they are part of the european union the mm -hmm. the republic of ireland is is on the euro um but i think part of what keeps it separated one is just the geography it's literally separated mm -hmm. it's an island um and it's an island separate from even england and scotland it's its own thing and so getting anywhere, you know, if I'm in France, I can hop on a train and in an hour, you know, be in Germany or, you know, somewhere else, get to Spain pretty quickly. But in Ireland, like you got to take a boat and then a train. And then, you know, so there's that physical separation, but there's also, I think that identity separation because they've had to fight so hard mm -hmm. to keep their autonomy as Irish and the whole British Irish struggle um, that is still there under the surface today in some places. Um, I think they kind of naturally separate themselves. I think they kind of want to be part, but also really enjoy this uniqueness that they have because of their, their culture, their language, you know, their land, all of mm -hmm. that. So it, it really is, I think it's a dichotomy for them as well. It's kind of hard, hard to reconcile at times. That's a great answer. Um, you have written four books now set in Ireland. Why Ireland? What is it about that country? I mean, you've lived there, but what mm -hmm. draws you back to it? What is the magic of that particular place for you? You know, um, 
I remember telling a friend we'd been, we'd been back in Ireland about two years and I remember just feeling like I had, I had finally like found myself. I finally felt home, which we had a pretty nomadic lifestyle at the time. So home was kind of a loaded word. And, and I remember saying, I think my heart was born in Ireland and I wasn't able to truly find it until I was here. Um, so I think, you know, Ireland is always going to be a part of me. Um, I definitely left a piece of my heart on its shores when we had to leave. My son was born there. So there's, you know, just so many emotions wrapped into it. Um, I have Irish heritage in my family. Um, but anyone who's been to Ireland will tell you there's just something about Ireland. It truly is a magical place it gets under your skin and once you go you never want to leave and so then you spend every day that you're not there thinking about how to get back <laughs> so I get to do that through the pages of my books that's lovely um let's talk a little bit about your writing process because for readers that's always fascinating mm. this is your fourth book um does it get easier as a writer with each book or does each book present unique challenges each book definitely presents unique challenges. Um, I honestly feel like it's gotten more difficult with each book. Um, and I don't know if that's because like I'm learning the craft more. I think I was blissfully naive when I was writing my first book or two, just kind of didn't know what I was doing. And so ignorance was bliss a little bit. Um, but I also want my stories to hold a deeper meaning. I want them, you know, to be a respite from the real world. I want readers to be whisked away, but I also want them to walk away encouraged or uplifted. And I, I feel the weight of that responsibility sometimes. Um, so yeah, each story has kind of carried its own difficulties. The, the Irish matchmaker, I felt like I just had to fight and scrap for every word it took me a long time to feel like I really knew my characters. And once I was done with the story, I realized that's because my characters didn't know themselves. They had spent both the, the hero and the heroine have really perfected the art of fooling oneself and, and being dishonest with yourself kind of about where you really are. And so once they had that realization, then I was able to know them better. And then the story I, made more sense to me why they were doing these things. So yeah, each one is, is its own little adventure, but every time it's done, it's, it's like when I have my kids, as soon as I finish one, I'm like, Whew, <laughs> never doing that again. And then like a couple months later, it's like, oh, <laughs> like there's a new book over there. Oh, I want to do that again. And then, and then you just do it all over again. So it would probably be the same analogy. You can't pick your favorite book. It'd be like picking your favorite child. Yes, for sure. <laughs> do you, as a writer, do you find that you have to structure a certain time to do the writing? Do you just wait for inspiration to strike? Um, does deadline prompt you into a faster timetable? What exactly is the progression of a work in progress? I would say yes to all of that. <laughs> um, I'm, you know, I'm a middle school teacher. I'm a mom of three. Uh, I'm a wife. Um, so I definitely have to schedule it in or it's never going to get done. Um, most of my writing gets done 
summer break, winter break, mm -hmm. long weekend, spring break. <laughs> um, and so I have to work out protecting that time, but also balancing that time. So I'm not giving too much to one thing or the other. Um, and sometimes I have to write when the muse is not striking and then just go back later and make it pretty. Um, cause that, that deadline looms quicker and quicker each time. <laughs> I think that's an important point that you brought up for aspiring writers is that it, in the end, it comes down to, you have to do the actual writing. You can't progress until that is there. So however, whether you do it daily, weekly in spurts or in great big chunks, you have, the writing is what the starting point. That's exactly right. And with when you're not under contract, you have that luxury of waiting until that inspiration hits and you can, you can get it on the page. I'm, I'm a planter, so I don't fully outline, but I do a lot of plotting and I'll write scenes in my head as I'm doing other things before I sit down. So before I was under contract, I had the luxury of waiting until I could flesh that out fully and then just let it flow onto the page. Whereas now I have to be more intentional about the way I use my time. And so sometimes it's not fully there and I have to like leave myself a note of like, make sure Donald does something here. <laughs> and then I go back and figure out what that something is gonna be later. Do your books always start in the same way? Are you always inspired by a character or is it like the setting in this particular book that you first come to and think, okay, this is how I wanna approach the novel. Does it change? I think they've all been the spark for an idea has kind of come um, simultaneously with the location and a question. Um, okay. So this one was the matchmaking festival. What would happen if the matchmaker can match everybody but herself? Mm -hmm. um, my previous book, The Maid of Bally McCool, the idea sparked with that Bally McCool house. And what would happen if... Um, a woman who didn't know who she was found a key to her past, you know, things like that. So it's kind of a what if question and a spark from something that I've seen, either a, that setting or a piece of history or a snippet of a story that got lost in history. That's interesting. Um, now that you've had some experience as a published author, what do you find the most we won't use the word frustrating, we'll find something different. Puzzling, the most um, intriguing. What astonishes you most about the business of publishing? What did you wish someone had told you when you were first starting out to expect? I think I, it still astonishes me how far out everything has to be planned. Um, you know, publishers right now are looking at filling their slots for 2027, 2028, 2029. And so thinking that far ahead, but then, so that feels rushed in some senses of the word. Like, I don't know what I'm going to be doing in like tomorrow, let alone five <laughs> years from now. Um, but then also how slow it goes once you're, you're in it, you know, it's always at least a year from the time I sign a contract to when the book is actually hitting the shelves, sometimes longer. Um, so that process of kind of hurry up and wait um, has kind of always sneaks up on me every time. Yeah. Um, let's switch um, gears a bit and talk about Jennifer as a reader because you mm -hmm. write 
historical romance, historical fiction. Is that what you've always read? Do you kind of read in different genres? Who are some of the books that throughout your life you've kind of thought that inspired me in a way, not as just as a reader, but to be a writer? Mm. Until I started writing historical fiction, that is almost an exclusively what I would read. Um, I did read, there was one series, a contemporary like women's fiction um, called the Yada Yada Prayer Group. And it was a series of four or five books, I think. Um, and I really enjoyed that. Up until then, Liz Curtis Higgs was one of my biggest inspirations. She has a trilogy and a duology set in Scotland. Um, and her books are what inspired me to want to tell the stories that I tell. Um, since I write it, I find, I still love historical fiction. I love Laura France, Sarah Sundin, um, Sarah Ladd. Um, and I find it super fascinating now to read kind of both through a reader's lens, but also a writer's lens and kind of like to read Laura France's books. That's just a masterclass in historical fiction. Um, but then sometimes I find it can be like reading Laura France can be a masterclass in fiction where I'm like, oh, I am not there. And so kind of that imposter syndrome sneaks in. Um, I've really been enjoying a romantic suspense lately. Um, Natalie Walters, I cannot get enough of her books. She needs to write more right now because I'm almost done with all of her backlist. Um, and Jamie Jo Wright, which is more gothic, creepy, um, but always encouraging. I can't do creepy for no reason, but creepy with a purpose, I can do. Um, so I've really been enjoying that, which is kind of surprising to me. If you would have told me 15 years ago that I'd be into suspense books, hmm. I wouldn't have believed you, but I've really been enjoying those. Would it be fair to say that maybe in your past, The Lord of the Rings played an important role to you as a reader? Oh my goodness. Okay. This is where I feel like I'm going to lose my bookie bookish nerd card. <laughs> um, I've read the Lord of the Rings once, mm -hmm. but I adore the films. Okay. I struggled with the books so much. Once I got through the fellowship of the ring, it was better. I was just like, so help me if Tom Bombadil sings one more song, I'm going to throw this book across the room. <laughs> um, but I love I love the storytelling of it. Tolkien was such a master at just crafting all of the things, but just that epic art overall arching story arc is just gripping and speaks to humanity and struggle. And so I do tend to slip a nod to the Lord of the Rings into each book. Um, I was on another interview recently and I put out there that if someone finds it in this book and messages me, I'll send them a signed book plate. So if you find my little Easter egg from Lord of the Rings in the Irish matchmaker, let me know and I'll send you a little prize. Which brings us nicely to my next question. How can readers learn more about you and your books? Are you on social media? Do you have certain sites that you favor? I'm definitely on social media. Um, if people are interested in kind of all the things Jennifer Dibel books. Um, my website is that kind of one-stop shop. It's just jenniferdibel.com. There's information there on all of my books. There's the spot to sign up for my monthly newsletter and my social media links are there. I'm definitely most active on Instagram, but I also hang out on Facebook quite a bit. 
And the next question is one you can answer or choose not to, because I know some authors are somewhat protective, but do you want to give us a hint as what's next from you as an author? I would love to give you a hint. This book, oh my goodness, I think almost killed me. <laughs> but it, I think because there was so much of my own kind of spiritual journey that mirrored through this book that I didn't realize until it was already written. And I was like, well, well, that's why it was difficult. Um, so this book takes us back to the wilds of Donegal in the area of the poisoned Glen. And it follows the story of a tweed weaver and um, a young woman who ends up in Donegal um, thinking she has a job and then she doesn't. And she's taken in by our weaver and his sister and um, bandits strike the farm and he is hurt. So she has to learn how to weave very quickly because they have an order due. And so it's super fun. It's very atmospheric, um, lots of romantic tension. We do have a title, but I'm holding that close. So my newsletter subscribers get first dibs. They always get the title first. They get the cover first. So if you're interested in that, make sure you sign up. That'll be probably this summer, May or June sometime. It's typically when I get my covers. So I'm very excited about this one. That's wonderful. I can't believe how quickly our time has flown by. We've been very fortunate to have with us author Jennifer Dybel, whose new book is The Irish Matchmaker. Feel free to look for it at The Poison Pen or your local independent bookstore or library. I'd like to thank Jennifer for sharing her time with us today. And for those tuning in, thank you for joining us for another virtual author chat with The Poison Pen Bookstore. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you so much. I had a wonderful time. Hello. We hope you're enjoying our programs and podcasts with authors. We'd like to expand them, and your help would be appreciated. Please make a donation at poisonedpenfoundation.org. 100% of the proceeds will go to help connect authors with readers in this difficult time. Thank you.